This is the NC Everything Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host Curtis, and today we're going to talk about Pepsi. But before we get started, I want to let you know that I record at home. The reason I say that is I have about 30 chickens that I just let out of their pen. They're running around the yard. But in this brood of chickens, I have five roosters. And these roosters get kind of loud. Have you ever noticed how when you talk to people who don't speak English, a lot of people will start continuing to speak English, but incredibly loud. They think this will make them understand better. That's kind of how my chickens do. They, they scream at me a rooster and then stare at me like I'm the one with the bird brain. So if you hear any roosters outside, I do apologize. And that's all I really have to say before we get started. So let's get into it. Pepsi was invented by Caleb Bradham. Now Bradham, he was born in Chinquapin, North Carolina on May 27th, 1867. He graduated from UNC and attended the University of Maryland in hopes of becoming a doctor. Now, while he was in college in Maryland, he worked as an apprentice pharmacist in a drugstore. Unfortunately, a family crisis forced Bradham to drop his pursuit in medicine and come back home to North Carolina. When he got here, he opened up his own drugstore on the corner of Middle and Pollock Streets in downtown Newburn. And this is where the real Pepsi story begins. When Caleb Bradham first made his soda, he called it Brad's Drink. It was a mix of sugar water, caramel, lemon oil, cola nuts, nutmeg, and a few other things, and he claimed it would aid in digestion. Also, despite a lot of rumors, pepsin was never one of the ingredients. He was kind of hoping to copy Coca-Cola, which was developed 13 years earlier, so he named his drink Pepsi-Cola in 1898. He got the name from the word dyspepsia, which literally means indigestion. Pepsi was a huge hit right away. And so Bradham, in 1903, officially founded the Pepsi-Cola Company. By 1904, the Pepsi-Cola syrup sales reached almost 20,000 gallons. And in 1905, Pepsi's first bottling franchises were established in Charlotte and Durham. In 1908, Pepsi became one of the first companies to modernize the delivery of their product from horse-drawn carts to motor vehicles. By this time, 250 bottlers in 24 states were under contract to make and sell Pepsi-Cola. Now, he ran into some problems during World War I. Sugar prices were high and sugar was being rationed. This rationing got in the way of Pepsi producing enough syrup to meet demands. So Bradham attempted substitutes for sugar like molasses, but the outcome was always inferior to the original taste. After the war ended, sugar prices exploded from three cents to 28 cents per pound. So Bradham, he bought a whole bunch of this sugar, expecting sugar prices to continue to go up. Unfortunately, instead, they plummeted. So by May 31st of 1923, Pepsi-Cola was officially bankrupt and its assets were sold to Craven Holden Corporation for $30,000. That summer, a man named Roy Megargale bought the creditors out for $35,000 and formed the Pepsi-Cola Corporation. 
By the way, this company changes names several times in this story, and so I wish you luck. So anyway, Megargale moves the headquarters to Richmond, Virginia, but the company is steadily losing money. He even tries to get reorganized and change the name of the company to the National Pepsi Cola Company, but he was no match for the Great Depression. So in June of 1931, Pepsi again declared bankruptcy. Now scoot all that to the side for a second, and let's talk about Charles Guth. He was the owner of the Mavis Candies Company out of Long Island, New York. Mavis Candies made chocolate candy and chocolate soft drinks. However, Guth gave his company to Loft Incorporated in exchange for about $600,000 in Loft stock. Loft operated over 150 candy stores, and most of these stores had soda fountains. So after the Depression hit, a power struggle occurred, which ended with Guth having control of Loft. And the first order of business was to haggle with the Loft key supplier, Coca-Cola. So Loft used about 31,000 gallons of Coca-Cola syrup a year. And Guth, he decided that, that at this volume, Loft deserved a wholesale discount, but Coke said no. They considered Loft a retailer of Coke, not a wholesaler. So Guth, he began looking for an alternative soda who would actually do business with them. Now, back to Roy Megargale. Charles Guth and Roy Megargale, they met in the summer of 1931, and they decided to form the Pepsi-Cola Company. So at this time, half the company was owned by Guth and half by Megargale. By the way, if the Megargale family is listening, I'm really trying to pronounce that name right. I have no idea if I'm doing so. Anyway, Guth eventually buys out Megargale's sh- Megargale's shares, giving him 91% ownership of the company. Man, I'm getting worse with that name as I go along. Anyway, with 91% ownership of the company, Guth quickly got rid of Coke and replaced him with Pepsi. The problem was, he was in New York, and most of New York has had never heard of Pepsi. So Guth started trying different things to improve sales. And like in 1933, he changed the price of the 12-ounce bottle he started charging $0.10, cent, which is what everyone else was charging for a 6-ounce bottle. With this, sales actually went up, and he started building bottling plants all around the country. By now, things were doing really good for Pepsi, but not for Loft. Guth had been so focused on Pepsi, he kind of neglected Loft. And so Loft lost a lot of money, and Guth was forced to lay off a bunch of employees and cut the salaries of others. This resulted in a mass strike, and though Guth was a major shareholder at Loft, he was not in absolute control of the company. So eventually, he turned his resignation in to the Loft's board of directors and turned his full attention to the Pepsi-Cola company. At this point, James Carkner becomes the new head of Loft, but he was already in a lot of trouble because Loft was pretty much broke. Eventually, Carkner got a really good idea. He wanted to try to take the Pepsi company away from Guth, since Pepsi had been built by Loft. Loft found a law firm willing to take on the case on a contingency basis since they really had no money, and they found a financial firm willing to take a risk on the outcome and bail them out. So they provided money to keep Loft's doors open while the lawsuit ensued. What resulted was a bit of a war between Guth and Karkner, and Guth lost. So Loft or Lofts ends up being controlled by the financial firm that bailed them out. And that financial firm was led by Walter Mack Jr. In 1935, Pepsi comes out with the first ever advertising jingle. And on the brink of World War II, they changed their colors to the red, white, and blue. 
1941, Lofts changed the name to the Pepsi-Cola Company. I'm realizing that it's really hard to say the word loft before any other word, so I apologize that it sounds really weird. I promise I can speak English pretty good. Anyway, during World War II, the company circumvented some supply freezes on sugar by building a factory in Mexico, and they agreed to buy all the excess sugar made by Mexico. Even though Bradham got in trouble with sugar, they took a chance and it worked out for them because a lot of military bases had soda machines and they were really hoping to get some soda. So Pepsi really thrived during World War II. In 1950, Alfred N. Steele became the CEO of the Pepsi-Cola company. He was actually the former vice president of Coca-Cola. His emphasis on giant advertising campaigns and sales promotions increased Pepsi's net earnings 11-fold during the 1950s, and it made it the chief competitor to Coca-Cola. Funny enough, he was married to actress Joan Crawford, and so naturally she became the face of Pepsi. And after his death, she went on to have major control of the company. In 1959, Pepsi debuts at the Moscow Fair. Soviet Premier Khrushchev and U.S. Vice President Nixon share Pepsi. That sounds kind of gross, but it was a different time. Now this is where, for me, the story changes. I say that after 1960, Pepsi entered into a, a bit of a Disney story. And no, there wasn't any ordinary chicks with dead parents who turned out to be hot chicks who could break into song without warning while the queen tried to murder them and the prince tried to court them, all while talking animals did the laundry. Instead, it's a story reminiscent of the Disney company. They began merging and buying out other companies and releasing new products hand over fist. Also, from this point forward, Pepsi began a long line of successful heads. I won't name them all, but but just suffice it to say that they really didn't have any bad leadership from this point forward. So in 1964, Pepsi acquired another soda from Tennessee called Mountain Dew. Also in 1964, Pepsi became the first soda company to offer a non-calorie drink when they came out with Diet Pepsi. In 1965, PepsiCo Incorporated was founded by the merger of the Pepsi-Cola and Frito-Lay Corporation. Herman Lay became chairman of the new board of directors of the new company, and Donald M. Kendall became its president and chief executive officer. In 1970, Pepsi introduces the world's first two-liter soda. And in 1974, Pepsi opens a plant in USSR. In 1977, the Pepsi company bought Pizza Hut. In 1978, they buy Taco Bell. In 1986, they purchased the Kentucky Fried Chicken Corporation and 7-Up International. Also in 1986, they bought Mug Root Beer. In 1991, Pepsi teamed up with Unilever LLC. They launched Lipton Ready to Drink Iced Teas. Today, the Pepsi-Lipton partnership offers a full range of unsweetened, no-calorie, low-calorie, and sweetened iced teas under the Lipton Iced Tea Brisk and Pure Leaf brands. In 1994, they entered a joint venture with Starbucks, and they marketed Ready to Drink Coffee. These drinks included Starbucks Frappuccino in a bottle, Starbucks Double Shot, Starbucks Refreshers, Starbucks Iced Coffee, and Starbucks Discoveries. Also in 1994, Pepsi got into the bottled water market with Aquafina. They said that the water is purified using a proprietary seven-step reverse osmosis process known as Hydro 7. I have no idea what in the world that means, but it's supposedly to guarantee the purity and taste. In 1997, the restaurants that Pepsi now owned 
were spun off into a new separate company called Tricon Global Restaurants Incorporated. In 1998, Pepsi wanted to kind of add more healthier drinks to their options, so they acquired Tropicana and Dole Juice brands from the Seagram Company. I know this is a lot and it's happening fast, but that's the way the past 40, 50 years went with this company. So getting back into it, in 1989, Pepsi Company introduces Wild Cherry Pepsi. So by the late 90s, early 2000s, if you were looking at the Pepsi roster, you might see the original Pepsi, Vanilla Cherry Pepsi, Lemon Flavor Pepsi, Diet Pepsi, Mug Root Beer, Mountain Dew, Lipton Iced Tea, Aquafina, and Sierra Mist. And that's not even all of them. In 2000, Pepsi bought Sobe Teas and Elixirs. The following year, in 2001, Pepsi merged with Quaker Oats to form a new division, Quaker Foods and Beverages. In 2001, Pepsi bought Gatorade. In 2006, Pepsi acquired Izzy Sparkling Juice Drinks. In 2007, the Naked Juice line of premium juice and smoothie beverages joins the Pepsi company. Also in 2007, Pepsi launches Pepsi Max. Max is advertised as given the bold flavor without all the calories. I actually never had the Max. And to be honest, I haven't had a whole lot of these Pepsi products. I always kind of just like the original. In 2008, Pepsi launched a zero-calorie Sobe Life Water and Trop 50. These were two of the first nationally available beverages sweetened with stevia extract. Also in 2008, Pepsi began distributing Tezo Iced Tea. In 2013, Pepsi expanded its product line to include Mountain Dew Kickstart and Lipton Pure Leaf Not Too Sweet Teas. In 2014, Pepsi released Caleb's Cola. That's cola with a K. They said it was a unique cola crafted by a passionate group of cola lovers using the ingredients from around the world. I don't remember this at all. If you do, please write in and let me know about it. In 2016, they started launching more zero-calorie products like Propyl Electrolyte Water, Aquafina Sparkling, and Pepsi Zero Sugar, and premium beverages such as Pure Leaf Tea House Collection and 1893 from the makers of Pepsi Cola. In 2017, Pepsi launches Life Water, Tropicana Essentials Probiotics, Naked Pressed Botanical Juices, Gatorade Flow, Gatorade Thirst Quencher, and K-Vita. In 2018, Pepsi introduced Bubbly, which was a sparkling water, Mountain Dew Ice, Tropicana Cocoa Blends, and Tropicana Kids. You see what I mean by a Disney story? And that is the way the company is still going today. I know this has been one of my longer episodes, but I, I sure had a good time researching it. It was hard to keep up with, as you can see. Some of it I struggled through, but it's a complicated story, and maybe my geek is showing, but I wouldn't mind seeing that turn into a movie. But that is all I have on Pepsi. So if you want to contact the show, you can contact us at www.thenceverythingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to our email, Facebook, Twitter, and pretty much anything else. Well, I really do hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll talk to you next time. (laughs) 